Hello and welcome to Her Podcast, a reflection on the best bits Her Campus Bristol has to offer. I am your host, Dulcie Godfrey. In this week's episode, we look back on Black History Month. I have been deliberating on whether to do this episode. I didn't want myself, a white person, to dominate this conversation. This isn't about me. This isn't about my voice. At the same time, I feel it would be negligent to ignore the importance of this month. I don't feel I need to explain why this year has been important for black lives, for racial equality. We need to continue this energy, this motivation for change. I should also like to add that a theme in this episode is that the focus on black history and discussion of these ideas should not just be limited to one month. This should be an all-year-round consistent focus. Her Campus Bristol had a themed week of articles to highlight issues, ideas and celebrate black culture that is so influential and important in society today, especially in Bristol. I wanted to use this episode to continue this and amplify voices that matter. Whilst we can obtain white labour in this city, we intend to go on engaging white labour rather than coloured labour. They were not shifting. We said we've got to take it to the other level. We are going to form ourselves into group and stop the buses. We physically sit down in the road. Well, I would say that uh, the Commonwealth Immigrants Act has uh, acted as a deterrent against their coming. And in fact, that was the intention of the act, which uh, many of us consider the color bar bill. The consequences of the act, uh, namely uh, the fact that the population at large, because of the whole propaganda against the West Indians, uh, regard them as second-class citizens. Well, what's that got to do with women's rights and Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint, and your holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half measure full? Knowing how the world enjoys blackness and seeing what happened to George, we, black people, get the feeling that people want our culture, but they do not want us. In other words, you want my talent, but you don't want me. First up, I was lucky enough to talk to Sharma Gunning, president of Bristol's Intersectional Feminism Society and all-round amazing person. Bristol Femsoc redefined itself as intersectional a few years ago, a term only entering common feminist dialogue in the last decade or so. First conceptualised by abolitionist Sojourner Truth, whose words you heard at the beginning performed by Carrie Washington, and more recently was defined by black feminist scholar Kimberly Crenshaw. It accounts for the links among many forms of oppression, such as race, gender and sexuality, that leave victims of injustice with unique experiences that cannot be captured by just one lens. A lack of recognition of this has meant much of feminist action has perpetuated larger systems of inequality, black women just being one victim of this. Here's what Sharma had to say. Um, I think when I was growing up in school and like in education, Black History Month was always really important because it was one of the few times that I got to see my own history reflected in the syllabus or kind of talked about in assemblies or just like given any light to so I think it was really important because it like was one of the few ways that I was able to access my past but and also it was really informative to people that weren't like black or ethnic or of colour because it also showed them a little bit more about our history and like how our histories interweave with 
would be considered like British history. So I do really like it, but then I also have kind of mixed feelings about it because of this whole idea of, you know, black history isn't a monthly thing, like it should be throughout the year. Um, and it kind of tokenizes it or kind of makes it into a gimmick sometimes where it's like, oh, we've talked about it for three weeks or we've run an event for a week. So now we can go back to teaching a completely uninclusive syllabus. Kind of mixed feelings but it's on the whole quite good and I definitely think it's been nice at Bristol how all of the societies and the uni itself have put on quite varied events and kind of initiatives to look at different elements of blackness because I think often it's kind of portrayed like a single dimensional thing so like oh if we talk about slavery or if we talk about the african-american experience we're talking about all blackness whereas there's so many different facets to it you've got like the black queer experience the black female experience you've got being black and being of a certain religion like there's a lot of different elements to it so i think bristol does that really well and i think all the societies putting on their own sway of it has been really interesting you're president of FemSoc. Um, I'm just wondering what you would just say about how feminism and like sort of racial justice, how they're intertwined. Yeah, so actually, I think two years before I became president, they added the term intersectional into the title because we used to just be the feminist society. And I think actually feminism as a movement as a whole has always kind of been a bit conflicting with like the black experience and the black identity I think often especially like talking as a black woman we're kind of asked to pick a side so you're either fighting for racial justice or you're fighting for gender justice and often the two don't kind of work that well a good example of this was if we're talking about like in America and we're looking at the American feminist movement the kind of white feminists who ran that movement ran the campaign to get the vote by basically saying that we should be better than black men like white women should have the vote before black men do because we're white and that's superior so but that was still seen as like a feminine a feminist objective and then also you have the added layer of like where do women of color fall in that spectrum so i've had students freshers who've come to kind of femsoc events and been really hesitant been a bit scared and been like I don't think this would be an inclusive space I don't think this would be a space for me and I think that's one of the main things that feminism has like an image problem with is that's seen as not inclusive not intersectional it's really focused on western narratives so for example the narrative of modesty so through the nipple campaign or like women should take over like take it all the sexuality which is great but how do we include black women or Muslim women in that narrative and I think sometimes western feminism struggles with that so just my aim as president FemSoc has been to make it a bit more inclusive, make it more intersectional, deal with like do more stuff with the BME networks or the South Asian societies or like be more inclusive because we can work for both goals but we do need to focus that and like centralise that narrative. So I'm actually just editing some sort of like sound sounds and clips and stuff for this and I was listening to Clara Amford, you know the Radio 1 DJ? She just said, it was actually right after George Floyd got murdered but she was like, people enjoy like black culture and not black people. I think basically every black student who's been to Bristol probably has an experience of this because black culture is so fetishised kind of around the world, but especially, I think, in the UK, being brought over from America. Yeah, it's this fetishising of, like, the other or the kind of the subcultural narrative or something that's different. And, you know, it can be kind of in, like, costume form. It's like there's this kind of concept of black fishing where, like, influencers or people on Instagram either turn to a point where they look mixed race 
or they would wear braids or wear, the, wear their hair in certain ways that makes them seem more black or, or come across as what black is. Um, and then also like interacting with black media forms, so like music, for example, rap or things like that. And then oftentimes I'll see same people that are silent when there are issues of oppression, which I think you were like kind of pointing towards. I think the the reason it's so easy is because I don't think there's a lot of responsibility in how we ingest black culture. So like, you know, you can just access rap that isn't political or you can look at fashion as not knowing the history behind it. So a good example is with braids. Like Camo's, people think of it as just a fashion style because they don't know the history, they don't know that it was used to be like maps for plantations or they don't know that people were persecuted for wearing natural hair or people were like refused jobs and, and also during slavery people were punished for having their natural hair so if you don't have access to that history then you are just going to view it without any cultural significance and you are going to think that oh it's just a hairstyle why can't I wear it or oh like darkening my skin to look a bit more in fashion if you don't know about the history of colorism and how like skin whitening products are sold all throughout black hair shops and around the world if you don't know about that then you are going to view it as just something you can like dip into and dip out of um speaking of that do you have any particular like uh black figures or inspirational figures because i've actually edited yeah i would say lady phil who is the co-founder of uk black pride and i saw her speak at an event but at the OWA in Bristol and it was so interesting and just that's what my dissertation was on last year it was on its intersection of being black and queer and like if anyone is like interested in that I would say check her out because she's awesome this is just because I did English but um I've read like some some stuff by Alice Walker who wrote about like womanism and that as a concept and I really like her idea that so basically she makes that this distinction that um rather than like race being just an element of your femininity race is actually how how we view our femininity so she like gave that example which i think works really well when we're trying to like instead of separating two parts of our identity we should view them as ways that we view the other ones like how they interact on top of each other so i'd say alice walker is there any particular like event or something you want to plug so this year we're starting a platform for women of color um, at the university, it's called Peng Girls, like P-E-N-G Girls, um, and you can find it on Instagram and on Facebook. And it's essentially a space for women of colour to talk about their well-being um, and their experiences. And it's kind of born off the back of like the Black Lives Matter movement but essentially that like a lot of the time when we're doing activism and when we're dealing with these really traumatic experiences we forget to like take note of our own mental health so the whole point of pen girls is to be like have firstly not be isolated when you're doing activism and thinking about these issues but also just to remember to take stock of your feelings and your emotions and i think that would be what i'm plug and the first well-being event is happening on november 20th Adila Mahmoud's article reviewing the event Misogynoir and Beyond, Black Women Speak, is important to mention, given the content Sharma touched on. Adila eloquently defines misogynoir as a term for the double discrimination that black women face, misogyny, the policing of women, in conjunction with race. Adila notes the panellists gave illuminating responses, including their favourite parts of black womanhood, for example, the sense of community and shared support among black women. This, in turn, led to a conversation about black hair, how it is an important form of expression and community. Eurocentric ideals of beauty have meant that some people have been told that their hair is unattractive and undesirable. 
So, black women utilising creativity and diversity with their hair is working to dismantle this. There was so much more discussed in the article and the event, which is still available on Facebook on the BME page. The link to that will be in the show notes. I had a lot of fun things for this week's I Tried It planned, but at the time I was going to do it, a coronavirus scare struck my household and I was stuck indoors. I would still like to plug Ellie Crabb's article for Bristol-based black-owned businesses you need to know about. As per Ellie's instructions, I was going to try these establishments and use my journalistic integrity as an excuse to spend money. I now appreciate we're about to go into a national lockdown, but Christmas is also coming up. So Vivian May Naturals and Paris Gardens Art would be great gifts for family and friends, and you can purchase them online. And it's a great way to support local business. The link to that article and all the Instagrams for the businesses will be in the show notes. Two weeks ago, Bristol University's Vice-Chancellor, Judith Squires, hosted a virtual panel discussion towards a decolonised university, which Natasha Srinivas gave us a detailed and insightful summary for her campus Bristol. Sharma iterated earlier that the focus and education around black history shouldn't just be a month, its importance should be emphasised throughout the year. So Natasha's article in this case is very interesting. Mainly, the panel began a discussion on recent initiatives made to acknowledge the university's colonial past and create a more accountable, more diverse future. Many initiatives were credited, namely the establishment of the new anti-racist steering group responsible for renaming Colston Street accommodation to number 33. There is also the Curriculum Enhancing Project, the Bristol Medical School Anti-Racism Task Force and a new £1 million scholarship fund to aid disadvantaged BAME students. These formations show a determined, focused start to tackling racial inequality across many areas. But there is still the question of how exactly they will translate to student experience. Professor Leon Tickley emphasised how a lack of representation for many students can leave them disconnected from their course, a possible insight into why BAME students are 13% less likely to achieve a first or second class degree than their white classmates. More pressingly, Eva Larkai, president of BAME Medics, outlined how a history of colonialism in medicine has left symptom diagnosis to still not be taught on dark skin tones, a horrifying implication not only for Bristol medical students, but the future well-being of BAME communities as a whole. Both Sharma and Ginny, who you'll hear from later, gave examples of black figures who inspire them. Building on that, now I feel it's a good time to talk about Noah's article, The Hidden History of African Women in the British Health Service. Noah reflected on the History Society's event that talked to Bristolian Alex Douglas Bailey, who volunteers for the non-profit Young Historian Project. The Young Historians Project is a non-profit organisation led by young people who seek to encourage more people of African and Caribbean descent to become history students and teachers. Alex's most recent research uncovered the contribution African women made to the health service in the 20th century. This involves searching through nursing archives and, importantly, young historians partaking in interviews with ex-nurses. The final outcomes of the project are set to include an e-book, a documentary, a memorial to be uncovered at Charing Cross Hospital in London, an online exhibition and a podcast series. A huge amount of work for an amazing project. This is another reminder that too often, important and exceptional black people and people of colour don't get the recognition they deserve. To find more detail about the findings of the research, go to the Young Historians Project website, which I will leave in the show notes. 
on the topic of black women in medicine, Sharma mentioned in our conversation, although it wasn't included, a FEMSOC event, Misogynoir and Medicine. It will take place from the 4th of December 4 to 5pm, so if you want to find out more about the subject, that event would be perfect to go to. The details will be in the show notes again. Next, I sat down with Ginny Agbu, president of Afrolit Society, who was kind enough to share her voice and some amazing poetry. Hi, I'm Ginny. I am the president of the Afrolit Society. I'm a second year English student and really happy to be here. I just wanted to ask you about the importance of Black History Month for you personally and why you think it's necessary. And- That's a good question. I so I'm an international student, but I'm coming here and kind of just like seeing black history, because obviously I'd seen it in the media, but seeing it kind of played out in person was really important to me because it showed me like I still have a lot to learn, even as a black person. Imagine like if I have a lot to learn, imagine like everyone else. So I feel like it's just a really, really good way to educate people on things that they wouldn't have known before. How Black people's contributions have not just been beneficial to Black people, but to the world as a whole. I mean, I was listening to this podcast called 1619, and it basically went on about how um, Black people fighting for their rights in the United States inevitably gave rise to everyone else and why America is seen as such like a free, equal country now because of all the rights that Black people fought for. So I think it's important to celebrate Black History Month to kind of shed a light on those unsung heroes and show people that it's not just a thing of the past. Like we have Black people right now on the ground doing the work, changing the narrative, making the society better, not just for themselves, but for all of us. So that's what I think is important. I love Black History Month, but I have a bone to pick with it because I feel as though it's kind of used as the be-all, end-all, and it should never be that. We should keep the flag flying, we should keep the pace throughout the year, we shouldn't wait. I feel like oftentimes a lot of Black people feel like they're only ever given a space to talk about certain issues during Black History Month, and that shouldn't be. We should be able to voice our opinions, voice the stuff that's bothering us like throughout the year, and people should also remember that black history is always important no matter what month. so maybe to elaborate on like you said the people that you know fought for rights is there anyone in specific like specifically you wanted to talk about anyone that's inspiring to you personally um i guess i want to talk about nina Simone. because um, she's someone that I've kind of always known, like, because my parents listen to her music. Um, but recently I watched a documentary about her and just all the stuff that she had to go through trying to make it as a singer, as a dark-skinned black woman in America. And it was very kind of inspiring for me because I think oftentimes we see, like, tropes of people, like, in trying to make it or in trying to climb up that success ladder in Western countries, like Black people in Western countries, they often have to sell out and often have to diminish the extremity of their message or kind of be used as a vehicle by white society to um, kind of project their own ideas and they just have to be a tame version of themselves. And throughout her documentary was like a recurring theme She could have been more successful. There are many times she had to sacrifice her career for what she believed in. 
and this is the same kind of tropes we've seen in many other famous black people for like example Muhammad Ali after he rejected um, joining the army his career was basically derailed and he was based blackballed it's just I just find it so um, imagine all the other people with talents that we could have had if they weren't blackballed for demanding humanity so she's very inspiring to me as someone who refused to kind of follow that status quo and sacrificed success and commercialization for morality that's great just because you are president of afrolit i just wanted to hear your opinions about the importance of literary representation of black people of black culture I feel it was very, very important for me first year because not only was black literature something I was always interested in, um, just the space of the society and just being with people who are also interested in that was very formative for me um, coming in from Nigeria, not really knowing, you know, a lot about day-to-day life in the UK. So it was kind of like a very much safe space for me. So I really wanted to recreate that this year again for anyone coming in. And I think in terms of black literature, oftentimes you think of black literature through like a kind of African-American lens. Um, Most times we're talking about like African-American writers. So I wanted to kind of incorporate blackness as a whole. And this is like speaking also to the wider literary kind of, I'm an English student and, you know, they just throw in like the token, like black author, it's someone like Maya Angelou or like Bernie Morrison and they're amazing like I love them but like there's so many facets of blackness there's so many different stories um there's so many like time periods to explore and I think that is what I would say about like black literature is just how diverse like how extremely diverse it is and I also would wish that like in the conversation about black literature we could appreciate it for what for what it is like most times we're looking at black literature under the the umbrella of race or looking at it under the umbrella of oppression or racism but black people have their stories outside separate of that in their communities they, they go through the same things they go through love they go through teen angst they go through all of that like stuff we think about they go through their god faith they go through everything so i just want people to kind of have that open mind when they look at black literature i think oftentimes we just go into it expecting to read about like segregation and slavery and it's just like there's so much more to the story so right now I've been reading the trilogy Children of Blood and Bone by Toby Adeyemi and the, this is kind of embarrassing to say and people always count me for it but I really love teen fiction and just like like high school drama and just like teenagers just being teenagers and I feel like it's very hard to capture that adult that stage of adolescence and it's even harder to capture that black adolescence and kind of the intersections that play in with that so that book has been really great and then yeah that's just what i would say about black literature like acknowledge its diversity and make space for stories that you don't usually hear we have our sessions every tuesday at 5 30 um we do it bi-weekly and we're having it online for now but we're thinking of doing reading groups of six and we could have those in person yeah, we're looking to, like, if you are a society looking to collab, we're looking to do a lot more collaborations this year as well. Here, Ginny has kindly agreed to read some poetry for us, so take it away. Cool, okay, so uh, the first poem I will 
read, I would just like to give like a short introduction to it as well. So this does not really have a title, but um, I wrote this in lieu of the recent um, NSARS protests that have been happening in Nigeria. And it's really volatile, basically. Um, it's basically a complete social revolution that's happening. A lot of people are protesting against just bad governance in Nigeria and just corruption. And it's really just like a boiling pot of frustrations that have been kind of simmering for like years and decades. So I wrote this like during that period. The blood of my brothers has flown freely on this land. And I could never ask for another face, even if this one can no longer be recognized. This land does not remember me and it burns beneath my feet blackening my souls. The souls of my ancestors are woven into the wind, and I can never ask to breathe a different air, even if this one can be sometimes suffocating. I know that it is mine. Nine times I have watched this nation fall apart, and this is the last time I watched two tongued lizards try to piece it back together with safety glue. The next fall might not be so forgiving, and our hearts may not be so strong. I cannot fight. My bones are too weak and my flesh is too thin. I cannot die for a dream that would not even live for me. The voices of my fathers crackle in the burning flame, and soon they will be wept. And the second one is about, I recently read Small Island by Andrea Levy, and it basically opened my eyes to as kind of a forgotten story that I had never really thought about and that's the story of black Caribbean soldiers who fought for the British Empire in World War One and World War Two. How their narratives have been forgotten and also kind of erased and not just Caribbean soldiers but African soldiers as well, African American soldiers who were really an integral part in the victories of the world wars and kind of just had their stories erased. So this one's called Remembrance Day. For all my dead friends, I don't wear poppies, I heard in a rap song one day. And it made me think of all the lost soldiers without a Remembrance Day, who fought for a land that would have as soon swallowed them as they landed back on its shores, whose war cries were forgotten, muddled in the undercresses of subquarters and mob pockets. No poppies now, just a black boot eaten by mites, biding its time in the stolen heath of a far-out shoreline. Just a squatting name on the back pages of wilting parchment, face down beneath a thousand like it, stored in some run-down office building, with nothing but the dust to remember its insides. No poppies even, but their ghosts, sons and daughters, and all the songs of theirs that I will never stop hearing. You have been listening to Her Podcast with your host, Dulcie Godfrey. Big thanks to our guests, Ginny Agbu and Sharma Gunning. All the articles, events and organisations mentioned will be listed in the show notes. Special thank you to Megan Bryan and Alice Lang for helping me produce this episode. Again, all the articles are on Her Campus Bristol. Thanks for listening.